Hey, good morning, Plum Creek. I am glad you made the decision to worship with us today, uh, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. It's great to have you with us. Well, it's been another crazy week, hasn't it? Uh, we're living in a time where there is so much to pray about right now. There's the earthquake in Haiti. There's the hurricane that's coming to the northeast and then there's the disaster in Afghanistan. My heart really goes out to the men and women in our military who have served in Afghanistan any time over the last 20 years. My heart also goes out to people who are trying to leave the country, those who wish they could leave the country. And my heart is especially heavy for the Christians in Afghanistan. We need to really pray for the church there because following Jesus for them, it's a life or death proposition. So we want to pray that God will give them strength and courage for whatever's coming in the future. And if all that wasn't enough, we also need to pray about this recent surge of COVID. Uh, and I do want to say a word about that. Uh, you probably noticed on your way in today, there are signs that say we encourage everyone to wear a mask. And you may have questions about that, which is certainly understandable. So I want you to know uh, this is not a political thing. Uh, the fact is COVID has been spreading not only in our local community, but also here in our Plum Creek community. About a month ago, I tested positive myself, and I won't get into the long list of symptoms I had, but I will tell you that it hit me hard. COVID is no joke. Now, obviously, we could go back and forth about the best way to respond to the virus, and, and there are lots of different opinions about what's effective and what's not effective, but here's the deal. God loves people, and we do too, and we're praying for wisdom praying for God's leading about how we can love others well. That's what it comes down to. Now, I don't know the future, but I expect that the situation will improve soon, and when that happens, those signs will come back down again. Uh, but in any case, this is one more issue to pray about. Pray for people who are fighting the virus right now, those who are recovering, and, and just pray for our world. And, and we've really felt led to, to pray as a church this week. Uh, so I asked a couple of the elders if, if they'd be willing to pray. And here in this service, uh, Mike Hall is going to come and lead us in prayer. So thank you, Mike, for doing that. Would you bow with me? Father God, as we humbly come before your throne, we say thank you just for another day of life. We know each day is just a gift from you. We also want to proclaim to you your majesty, your glory, and your honor that you deserve and your greatness. But Father God, even with that, you hear even our cries. You tell us that if we cast our burdens on you, that you will hear them. And you tell us to do it because you care for us. And this week, our hearts are heavy for many things. And Father God, I want to lift up them right now before you. Father God, I want to pray for the devastation that comes from natural disasters like the hurricane that's coming. 
the earthquake that we saw down in Mexico. Father God, just all those things that, uh, that cause devastation, and we might not be able to understand it, but we know, Father God, that you're in control. And we pray for the people that you give them comfort and peace. And we pray, God, through that all that you can be seen. Father God, I want to pray for Afghanistan right now and that country and what's going on there. I want to pray for the leaders that have taken it over. I pray that, Father God, they'll be open to hearing and being in conversation with uh, other nations. I pray that, Father God, they will look and seek you. I pray for those that were stationed there, the service men and women. Pray that you will give them peace and comfort in knowing what they did did have purpose and meaning. Father God, we might not understand why and what caused the chaos now, but Father God, we know that you're in control again. I want to pray for the people that are there that have fear and anxiety, that Father God, they might not know the circumstance right now, but Father God, they have a Father that loves them and cares for them and asks for peace, comfort for them at this time. I pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are there, that you also give them peace and comfort. I pray for those who are looking for a way out, if it be possible. I pray you will show them and prepare that way and you would lead them safely. And if not, God, through it all, we see it throughout Scripture, even in times of persecution. We pray that they will have a peace and a joy that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ and they can be that light to others during this time. Finally, Father God, I just want to pray for the situation with COVID. We know there's no easy answers for that. But Father God, we know again that you are in control. That Father God, we seek your wisdom and guidance, not just for ourselves, but for our leaders, for those that are in health care, those that are around, just making decisions around it, Father God. I pray that you will give us guidance in that. I pray for those that are here in our own family of Plum Creek that we know that have been hit by COVID. I pray for them. I pray for those that have lost loved ones. I pray for healing and comfort for all those that are overcoming it and coming back. Father God, you restore them back to health. But finally, Father God, I just want to close with this, that you tell us in all things to have love. I pray, Father God, that will be our final thought in everything that we do, that, Father God, you fill us with your spirit, that we can go out and show love to the world. We can be that light that you call us to be, that we can point others to Jesus, because that truly is our purpose in all circumstances. And we want to ask this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Mike. So let's keep praying. Let's keep praying. And in the midst of all this craziness, we don't want to get distracted. We want to focus on God, seek him, listen to him. And that's what we're going to do today. Uh, I am excited uh, to jump back into this series on worship. This is the second week of this series. And if you missed last Sunday, I, I gave a simple definition of worship. Here's what it is. Worship is giving God his rightful place. Uh, God deserves the number one place in our hearts and in our lives. And that's just a fact. The question is this, will we give God the place that he deserves? Or will we put something else or someone else above him? As we think about that question today, we're going to zero in on one verse from the Bible. John chapter 4, verse 24. And I'll go ahead and read that for you. It says, God is worship. 
And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now that's a direct quote from Jesus. And this morning we're going to look at a story that, that gives us the reason why he said this. And first, before we get to that story, I want to give you our big takeaway for today. It's based on this verse. It's the one thing I hope you'll remember from this sermon. Here it is. True worship is from the heart, and it's based on truth. If your heart's not in it, it's not real. If you worship some God of your imagination, the God you want him to be instead of the God he is, it's not real. Now, there's a lot to unpack in this little sentence, and, and the story in John chapter 4 is going to help us do that. Some of you are very familiar with this story. Uh, it's an encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman from Samaria. Uh, if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard several sermons on this passage, and, and there's a good reason for that. This story is so rich. Uh, there are at least a dozen sermons here in John chapter 4. Uh, for example, in this chapter, we learn that Jesus loves broken people. We learn that it doesn't matter what's in your past, Jesus will give you a great future. Uh, we learn that Jesus will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. And we also learn that you don't have to be a Bible expert to tell others how Jesus has changed your life. All that is, is right here. There's so much good stuff. We could spend weeks on this one story. But today, we're going to focus on what this passage teaches us about worship. So let's go back to that big takeaway. True worship is from the heart, and it's based on truth. And that statement has two parts, right? Part one, worship is from the heart. Part two, it's based on truth. Now, we talked about that first part last week. We said that worship includes three aspects of who you are. Your mind, your emotions, and your will. With your mind, you discover who God is. And how do we do that? Well, God reveals himself to us in several different ways. Uh, first, we can see God's fingerprints all over creation. Uh, with everything from galaxies down to groundhogs, all of creation points to the creator. Second, God reveals himself through scripture. And this is where we get the clearest picture of who God is. And third, God reveals himself through Jesus himself. For example, when Jesus went to the cross, he showed us what God's love is like, his great love for us. So with your mind, you discover who God is. What's next? Your emotions. When you discover that the great God of the universe sees you and he loves you, he loved you enough to die for you, well, that, that fills you with love and gratitude and praise. You got a reason to sing. You got a reason to celebrate. But that third piece is also important. When your mind is engaged and your emotions get involved, it's time to surrender to God. Make the willful decision to follow Him. Uh, let His rule be in your life. You surrender your will to His will. So there it is. With your mind, you discover the greatness of God. With your emotions, you celebrate the greatness of God. And with your will, you surrender to this great God. 
Now, before we move on here, I need to make an important point. All three of these things can only happen through Jesus. You know, these days, it's, it's pretty common for someone to come up with their own idea of who God is. Uh, some people might say, I don't need church. I don't need the Bible. I, I can find God when I, I go out into nature. And yes, like I said, all of creation points to the Creator, but hanging out in nature is not the same thing as worship. In order to worship, there has to be a connection between you and God. There has to be direct communication where you speak to Him and He speaks to you. And you don't get that connection just by visiting the Grand Canyon. I'll give you an illustration. A lot of you know Jimmy Ranshaw, our next-gen minister. You may also know that Jimmy owns a Model T. Here's a picture of it. Now, Jimmy told me this is a late 1923 touring model, so it's about to turn 100 years old soon. Now, of course, uh, these cars were made by the Ford Motor Company. But let's imagine something for a second. Let's say you go out and you see Jimmy's Model T. When you look at that car, you can learn something about Henry Ford, can't you? Uh, you can check out the engine and, and say, you know, for his time, Henry Ford was a really bright guy. But here's what you can't do. You can't open the hood, get down real close, and say, Henry, I'd like to talk with you. Are, are you there? Can you hear me? That's ridiculous, right? Because talking to the car itself is not the same thing as communicating with the man who designed the car. And that also applies to anyone who says, I find God in nature. No, you need some way to communicate with God directly. And there's only one way to make that connection. It's through Jesus. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's not a very popular verse these days, but it's true. You don't have a connection with God until you have a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because of our sin. Our sin severed our connection with God. But Jesus made a way for that relationship to be restored. He went to the cross. He put our sin on his shoulders. He paid the price that we deserved to pay. And because of his sacrifice, God offers the gift of forgiveness and salvation to everyone everywhere. Now, you do have to make the decision to receive that gift, but when you do, you have that connection. It's restored. You're able to truly worship. You can share your heart with God, and he will share his heart with you. So that's what it means to worship from the heart. Now let's get to the truth side of things. What does it mean to worship in a way that's based on truth? Well, this is where we go to that story in John chapter 4. And like I said, we're focusing on just one verse today, John 4, verse 24. So let's go back and read that again. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So that's the verse. But what's the context? What's the story? Well, here's a brief story. We'll start by looking at a map. 
Uh, at the beginning of John chapter 4, Jesus is down at the bottom of this map in a region called Judea. But Jesus decides that he wants to go on a little trip with his disciples. He wants to travel up north to the region of Galilee. Now, that journey was pretty uncomfortable for most Jews because of that little patch of land between Judea and Galilee. That's the re region of Samaria, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. They hated them so much, they, did, they didn't even want to pass through their land. So here's what they did. They would often take a long detour to get from Judea to Samaria, or to Galilee. They would cross the Jordan River, go north till they passed Samaria, and then head back west and cut over to Galilee. Now, that was a much longer trip, but at least they didn't have to get near those dirty Samaritans. However, Jesus doesn't care about any of that. He travels straight through Samaria. And he stops at a town, and he, he goes to a well to get some water. And at this well, Jesus meets a local woman. She's kind of an outcast. Uh, she has a bad reputation. And Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. He starts talking about this different kind of water, living water. And Jesus says, whoever drinks this living water that I give, they will never be thirsty again. And the woman is intrigued by this, and she asks Jesus for this living water. And, and Jesus says, yeah, go get your husband, come back, and we'll talk about that. And the woman looks down, and she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says to her, yeah, you're right. Uh, you don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and right now you're living with a man who is not your husband. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is not trying to embarrass her here. He's trying to help her understand who he is, and she gets it. In John 4, 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, because nobody else would know that. Now, the woman realizes she's talking to a very important person, somebody with great spiritual insight, and she sees that this is a golden opportunity. She wants to ask him something that's been on her mind for a while. It's the most controversial issue between her people and the Jews. The woman says, I'm really confused about something. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So what's she talking about here? Well, this, this is that animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. There's a lot of history there, a lot of bad blood. And it's interesting the racial tension between these two groups has a lot to do with worship. And since we're talking about worship today, I want to give you a little bit of the backstory. So let's go back 700 years before the time of Jesus. And let's see where this hatred came from. I've got another map to show you. Uh, this map shows what Israel looked like shortly after the time of King David. Now, when David ruled, all of Israel was united as one nation. But not too long after David was gone, there was a, a great divide between the people of the north and the people down south. It was kind of like the American Civil War, except these two sides never got back together. There were now two kingdoms, Israel up north and Judah down south. Now, the kingdom of Israel didn't last 
They were actually wiped off the face of the earth. And here's how it happened. You can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 17. The last king of Israel was a guy named Hosea. And Hosea was in a bad position because right next door there was a great empire called Assyria. And Assyria was kind of like a big bully just pushing Israel around. Uh, They were like, give me your lunch money and do my math homework and maybe I won't beat you up. Now, of course, Hosea didn't like that arrangement. So he looked for a solution and he tried to pull a fast one. He tried to make a deal with Egypt down south. And Hosea knew that Egypt was also a bully, but he thought they might be a better bully than Assyria. But this was a terrible idea because Assyria found out about this. And they were like, okay, Hosea, that's how you want to play? And they sent a huge army into Israel. They besieged the capital for three years, and they eventually conquered the whole territory. And after that victory, the Assyrians took most of the Israelite people and they carried them off into Assyria. And just like that, the northern kingdom is gone. Now that does raise a question. This is God's chosen people. Why would God allow them to go through this kind of tragedy? Well, the people of Israel had been disobedient and rebellious for many, many years They they worshipped all kinds of idols. Uh, They followed the false gods that all their neighbors worshipped. And they did terrible things in the name of worship. They actually practiced human sacrifice. Ironically, at the same time, Israel still pretended to worship the true God. That was still the official state religion. But God looked at their idolatry as a complete betrayal. It was spiritual adultery. And the people ignored God's warnings for literally hundreds of years. And finally, God allowed Assyria to take over, defeat the kingdom. So that kingdom is gone. Israel is not coming back. Now, like I said, uh, most of the Israelites were forcibly removed from their homes and they were relocated different places in the Assyrian Empire. And the majority of them just blended into the culture and they lost their identity. But while that was happening, the king of Assyria repopulated the land of Israel with people from his own empire. Now, of course, these newcomers brought their own gods with them. And of course, the God of Israel didn't like their idolatry either. So God brought judgment against these Assyrian settlers. Many of them died. Many of them were actually attacked by lions and killed. You can read it in the passage. It's a a crazy story. But the Assyrians said, we are being punished by the God of this land. And they cried out to the king of Assyria for help. And the king had an idea. He said, you know, we took all of the Israelite priests out of the land. So maybe we should send a priest back to teach our people how to worship the God of Israel. So the king of Assyria sent a priest, and uh, we have to remember, those Israelite priests were hopelessly corrupt, so it's no surprise what happens next. The priest they sent, he does teach the people about worshiping the true God of Israel, but he also mixes in a little pagan idolatry. So time passes, 
And the Assyrians in the land intermarry with those Israelites that still remained. And these are the people who become the Samaritans of the New Testament. And the Samaritans kind of invented their own religion. It was kind of like the Jewish faith, but it was really more of an imitation. For example, uh, the, the Jewish temple, the true temple, was down in Jerusalem. But the Samaritans were not allowed to go worship at that temple, so they built their own temple at a place called Mount Gerizim. Now, the Samaritans did believe in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, but they kind of changed the stories to fit their situation. Uh, the Garden of Eden, that was, in their view, on Mount Gerizim. Noah's Ark landed on Mount Gerizim. The story of Abraham and Isaac happened, you guessed it, on Mount Gerizim. So the Jews down south, they thought this religion was ridiculous and offensive and blasphemous. The, the Samaritans, their worship did not represent the true faith. So the Jews looked at these people and said, you Samaritans are a bunch of half-breeds and heretics. So we can start to understand where this racial tension comes from, right? Now, fast forward 700 years, back to the time of Jesus. When Jesus decides to travel straight through Samaria, that's a big deal, isn't it? And when Jesus talks to this Samaritan woman with a bad reputation, that's a big deal, isn't it? But let's go back to the woman's question. She said, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, when Jesus and the woman are talking here, Mount Gerizim is within sight. But then look at what Jesus says, verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, not on Mount Gerizim, not at the temple in Jerusalem. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is so good. I love this. See, the Jews and Samaritans, they, they thought that worship was a specific ritual that you performed at a specific location, but they were both wrong. Because with the coming of Jesus, a new era began. After the crucifixion and the resurrection, God makes it very clear that salvation is for all people. God offers salvation to everyone. The message of the gospel is that God is seeking people like us. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, God is seeking you. It doesn't matter what's in your past, God is seeking you. It doesn't matter if your life is a mess right now, God is seeking you. Worship in this new era, it's not about a place, it's about a person. Jesus makes it possible for anyone to worship God in spirit and truth. 
So once again, back to our takeaway. True worship is from the heart and it's based on truth. Now let's think about that last part of the statement. What have we learned about what it means to worship in truth? Well, we've learned a couple of things. Number one, to worship in truth, you need to have an accurate view of God. And second, you need a life that matches your outward acts of worship. So the Samaritans got this wrong, didn't they? Uh, First, they worshiped imaginary, man-made gods, not an accurate view at all. Second, they were also guilty of spiritual adultery. They pretended to worship the true God, but their lives didn't reflect that. Their lives didn't match the outward rituals. So the Samaritans did get this wrong. But guess what? Many of the Jews got it wrong too. One day, Jesus was speaking to some of the Jewish religious leaders, and he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. Ouch. You don't want to get to the end of your life and hear God say that all of your worship was in vain. That would be devastating. So let's do a little personal evaluation here. Is your worship from the heart? Is it based on truth? Have you given the one true God his rightful place? I can't answer that question for you. I can only answer it for myself. And I know in my life, I need to check my heart and my mind constantly. And the truth is, you need to do the same thing. So uh, let's look at a practical example here. Let's, Let's evaluate. On a Sunday morning, when we come together to worship God, do we really mean the words that we sing? Are are we singing from the heart? And on top of that, uh, do the lyrics we sing line up with who God really is? Uh, You might not be aware of this, but we try to pay close attention to the songs we sing on Sunday morning. This week, I did a little study of the songs in today's service, and and what I found was very cool. Uh, We started the service with a song called Getting Ready, and that song is all about getting ready for the second coming of Christ. And I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of the lyrics in that song are straight from Scripture. For example, look at this section. Filled with wonder as we behold the man with fire in his eyes, the very word of God, You are worthy. Every kingdom, every nation bowing down will crown you with many crowns. So what do you think? Do those words line up with God's word? Absolutely they do. That reference to Jesus with fire in his eyes, that comes from Revelation chapter 19, verse 12. Uh, That passage is talking about the second coming and Jesus shows up with eyes flaming like a fire. There's also that line, the very word of God. That comes from John chapter 1. And and then there's the part that talks about every nation bowing down to Jesus. That shows up in Psalm 86, Philippians 2, and Revelation 15. And that's really going to happen. That's happening in the future. One day after this life is over, People will recognize and honor Jesus Christ as Lord. 
And if you have accepted Jesus in this life, that's going to be a great day. If you have rejected Jesus in this life, it's going to be a terrible day. And that's why it's so important to worship Jesus here and now. I could say a lot more about this, but the songs we're singing today are very much aligned with Scripture. At the same time, though, I need to give a word of caution. We need to be clear about the meaning of the lyrics we sing. For example, think about the song Waymaker. Uh, There's a lot of truth in that song. Uh, But look at that line that says, you are here mending every heart. Now, is that true for everyone? Is God mending the heart of every person all around the world? Well, if we put it that way, the answer is no. Now, God is willing to mend every heart. He's willing to restore you and forgive you and make you whole. However, Scripture tells us that many people will reject Jesus and and try to get by with a, a broken, sinful heart, and there will be terrible, eternal consequences for that. So does that mean these lyrics are not accurate? Well, it depends. When followers of Jesus sing these lyrics as the church, it's true. God is mending every heart in that group. But let's be very clear. If you have not yet given your life to Jesus, if you have not yet established that connection with God, he is not mending your heart yet. He wants to He is seeking you. He wants everyone to be in relationship with him, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. But that relationship is not there until you give your life to Jesus. So I wanted to give that word of caution. Some of the lyrics we sing only apply to followers of Jesus. And if that's not you, don't claim those lyrics as your own. And I say that not out of judgment, but out of a desire to see you receive all the promises and blessings that only come through Jesus. The reality is, it's crucial for all of us to make sure our worship is based on an accurate view of God. Sometimes uh, we get tempted to reimagine God in the way that we'd like him to be. We we might imagine a, a soft and cuddly God who never gets angry at sin. We might imagine a harsh and unloving God who would never really accept you. But those those pictures are not true. And when we get mixed up like that, we need to go back to Scripture and let God correct us. But like I said, it's not just about having an accurate view of God. It's also about having a life that matches our outward acts of worship. And we're going to talk about that more next week. But let's start right now thinking about that and praying about it today. When we sing songs about bowing down to God, surrendering to Him, is that really what's happening? Are we truly surrendering to Him? Do other people see that in our lives? Or have we become a people who honor God with our lips while our hearts are far from Him? I hope that's not the case. And you know, we're never going to be perfect God knows that we need his grace, but we don't have to be like the Samaritans and the Jews who got it wrong. We can worship God sincerely from the heart through Jesus, and and we can worship him based on truth. 
So let's encourage each other to do that. And let's ask God to help us do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to look at your word, to see that you are worthy and deserving of the first place in our lives and in our hearts. And it's also important for us to see how easy it is for us to get pulled away and, and to pursue false gods. So Lord, give us a clear picture of you. Help us surrender to you and worship you, not only with the songs we sing and the words we speak, but also in the way that we live. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.